Now, this week and next week is a little different for us here at Genesis. We have two special guest speakers from two different organizations that are here to tell us a little bit about what they do. And here's the goal. We want all of you to know that there are opportunities for you to make an impact, not just locally, but around the world. And today, Michael Forsberg is here from World Vision to tell us a little bit about what World Vision does. So, Michael, come on up. Give Michael a hand, please, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. And World Vision does great work around the world to make sure that families and kiddos are taken care of. So, hey, we're really glad to have you this morning. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. What's up, Genesis Church? Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. I am, um, I love this church. And this is service number two, and I've just felt so welcomed, and uh, people are so nice. And your worship band is tops, like 100%. Come on, you guys get to do this every single Sunday? You're probably so close to Jesus, you don't even know because of that band. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, like he said, I'm, my name is Michael Forsberg, and I'm from World Vision. World Vision is a Christian humanitarian organization. Uh, we're dedicated to working with children and families around the world in about 100 countries, all in the name of Jesus to help people uh, have fullness of life. And uh, I work in marketing and experience, and um, I'm really honored to be here today. And uh, just to get started, I have just two things that I want to say. One, um, I want to say thanks. Because folks here at Genesis Church, how many people here ran the marathon or half marathon last year with Genesis? Cool. Hey, these are some brave souls because last year, Genesis Church, you guys had 37 people who brought clean water to 257 people, raising $12,870 through running and walking the Indy Half and Full Marathon. Give them a hand. Give yourselves a hand. That's huge. Your very own pastor, Steve Wallen, was the top fundraiser. He brought clean water to 60 people. And so I want to just say on behalf of World Vision and on behalf of the communities that we serve in Africa, just to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness in joining us in this ministry. Thank you for continuing the faithfulness in this ministry by having uh, another launch day today. Um, and uh, here's the invitation. This morning, we're launching the 2018 Team World Vision team right here in Carmel uh, at campuses around uh, the area. And before I say anything else, I know the word running freaks some of us out terribly. You say, I'm not a runner. I maybe skipped the mile run in high school. I was sick that day. And I want to tell you that Team World Vision, we run, quotes, air quotes here, marathons and half marathons uh, as non-runners. 80% of our people have never run before, never ran half marathon or full marathon. And, and our form of running is basically just a little faster than this. So anyone can do it. We're people of all ages, all shapes, all sizes. And we have a training plan specially designed to get you from the couch to the finish line, and then right back to the couch again. Uh, believe it or not, we have Oreos and Nutter Butters, and we eat junk food at our group training runs. So whatever you think marathoning is, it is not that. We do it. We have a lot of fun, and it's all in the name of Jesus, and it's all in the name of bringing clean water to children around the world who needs it. So we're going to have a 10-minute information meeting um, at the front here at the end of the service. So you guys are you're good. You're already right in the zone. And uh, I just want to say really quickly, the, the, the ministry of Team World Vision, it is so personal to me. Before I was on staff at World Vision, um, I entered into this ministry because of my church. We had a church team just like you guys, and I said yes, and God has done crazy things, and he's changed my life. I quit my job in advertising. I, I joined the ministry. There's been so many things because of this ministry in my own life, and that story is replicated over and over and over again. And I want to show you a picture of my mom and dad, because one of the crazy stories is that uh, non-runners 
not really ever doing sports, um, chilling, living their lives. Suddenly, this is a picture of us at 4 a.m. This is before a race in Michigan. And my mom is not a morning person. My, my parents were not into this whole running thing when I told them for the first time that I was going to run a marathon. They're like, why are you doing that? You are crazy. You're going to get hurt. And suddenly, uh, we just kept asking them, Mom, Dad, say yes. Say yes to stepping into this thing and see what God does. And so if you go to the next slide, um, this is a picture of my mom, my dad, and I at the finish line of that same race. We, they got medals around their neck, and next thing you know, my mom and dad, they're signing up for races without even telling me. They're getting their communities involved. Their friends are joining in. Their friends are donating. They're, they're getting new churches on board in their city of Elgin, Illinois, where I'm, where I'm from. And it is just amazing to see what God has done, not just in my life, but to see how the ripple effect of the people around me, the people that I love, like my mom and my dad, have said yes to a challenge like this. Seeing them running together, seeing them have a new thing in their marriage after 30 years together, it has ignited something fresh and anew in them. And so um, this ministry is so much more than running. And uh, as, as we kind of continue the service, I, I pray that as you sit in these seats, that you just have kind of a, a, a dialogue with yourself, just saying, maybe I can do this. Because I'm here to say, you actually can do this. And maybe it's actually the person next to you saying, you should totally do this. Whether you're trying to lose, lose weight, get in shape, uh, change the world, all of that matters. And so uh, we're going to play a short video. And as that video plays, just think of what it might look like to say yes to just coming to the information meeting at the end of the service. So check out this video. In 2006, one man heard a divine whisper that he could help the most vulnerable kids in the world by running marathons. So he said yes. He felt God ask him to invite others into the same vision, so he did. Many people felt scared of the unknown, anxious and doubtful that they could accomplish such a big goal. For some of them, fear prevailed and they said no. But many people pushed through that fear and they said yes. The first year, a hundred people said yes. The next year, 400 said yes. Then a thousand, then 2,000. And a funny thing started to happen. As people said yes to new challenges and to changing the lives of kids and communities in Africa, their own lives started to change in drastic ways. I started this year, this is my first year. I have only been out of a wheelchair for two years now. In the beginning, I was like, mm, my knees, I got too much weight, mm, hold on. But I stuck with it. When I first was introduced to Team World Vision, I was a smoker, and I knew I needed to quit. Uh, but that instantly was in my mind, like, oh, I can't do it. But I did know that I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something athletic, because I was always told that I'm, like, I'd never be good at anything that's athletic. So when I heard about World Vision, I was like, why not give it a try? And plus, the goal of like bringing clean water, that, like that's beautiful. So I was like, this is something I really want to do. And I just went all in. I thought, I'm 55, why not? Bev did it at 60, I'll do it at 55. <laughs> we really did a lot of training, just the two of us. And it was such a bonding moment of that, that time when you, your, your strength is faltering and the person next to you carries you through. Well, I've lost 75 pounds through this, which is my doctor is ecstatic. I used to do world missions back in my 20s, a lot of relief mission work overseas, and then got in my 30s and kind of fell away. 
fell away from the Lord, fell away from that, fell away from the commitment and thinking about people overseas. And uh, this has really brought me back, helped me recommit my life to the Lord, but uh, also to those less fortunate. So it's been, a, been very good for me. And I couldn't imagine my seven-year-old having to go run and get water for our family. So that what keeps me motivated and focused. I plan on running a marathon every single year until I die. Whoa! We'll see how that happens or how that goes. Over the last 10 years, over 25,000 people have joined Team World Vision and they just keep saying that magic word, yes. Every one of those yeses also represents kids in Africa who get to say yes to life. Yes to health, yes to an education, yes to hope. Hundreds of thousands of kids. When we continually saying yes to the whisper, we say yes to personal transformation and yes to hope and life for kids. Every movement, every revival, every revolution in the history of mankind has begun because someone said yes. They are yes people. We are yes people. You are one too. As long as there are children in this world without clean water, we will continue saying yes. So after the service today, you have an opportunity to say yes, and I hope you do. Um, also, we're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to say yes to uh, bringing the gospel, uh, to bringing clean water, education, health care, and more to children through child sponsorship. Uh, Steve, uh, your pastor Steve Wallen, is, is doing this crazy race called the Comrades Marathon. You might have heard about it. 56 miles to the hills of South Africa. I've done this race. It is insane. And you need a purpose, and the purpose today is to get 56 kids sponsored. He's well on his way, and uh, I hope that you can learn more about it later on in the service. But if you came here for church tonight, or tonight, today, um, let's have some church. This won't be a 25-minute commercial for World Vision, and my hope is that every single one of us would be able to encounter the face of God today at some shape or form, uh, and that some of us, that we might be called to respond and stir to take action. Amen? Well, let's turn the corner. Uh, we're going to be spending some time today in John chapter 4. So uh, this is the story of the woman at the well. Turn with me in your analog or your digital Bibles to John chapter 4. Uh, the verses will also be on the screen. Um, and as you turn, uh, I want to call out six significant themes of this passage of Scripture. I made a handy little chart here. And as we read, I want you to be on the lookout for six mo movements of the story. The woman at the well has a transformative encounter with Jesus, and as a result, she could not be contained. At the very beginning of the story, she encounters some stranger at the well, and then his, his stranger status kind of changes. That Maybe he's something more than that. Perhaps he's a giver of some sort. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's the Messiah. And at the end of the story, she just bursts into town proclaiming that he's the Savior of the world. And so I want you to look for all those themes as we read together. Um, and we're going to read... A lot of Bible today. This is going to be a Bible feast, so I hope you brought your appetite. So would you stand with me in reverence for the Word of God as we read through John chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 1 through 30 and then some bonus verses at the end. Uh, so John chapter 4. Buckle up. I'm going to read fast. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town uh, called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. What can you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And so did his sons and his livestock. In verse 13, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks this water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and I have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back, for I have no husband, she said. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshipped here on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? And then leaving her jar, her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him. And we're going to fast forward to verse 39 and close it out here. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony of saying that he told me everything I ever did. So that when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And they stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. God we pray that your word would be alive today. Thank you for this living water that you offer. May we drink it. In your sense, then we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. That verse always really makes me thirsty. I like last service, I had to drink water afterwards too. And quick plug, um, if you could stand for all of John 4, that means you're on your way to having enough endurance to run a marathon. So congratulations. <laughs> you passed the first test. All right. So uh, this woman, she had an experience with Jesus, a transformative encounter with Jesus. Her life was changed in a very short story, and she couldn't be contained. She couldn't just stand there at the well anymore. And so this is kind of the, 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 the frame of thinking that I want us to have as we kind of walk through. There's a picture um, of a woman at the well, and this is um, something I want to kind of keep up. As I just quickly paraphrase what just happened in this story. If you're like me at church, sometimes I can get distracted reading through the Bible. So I'm going to quickly paraphrase you the story in Michael Forsberg's version. And uh, Jesus here, he's, he's traveling through Samaria, and he's getting tired because he's a human in, in, in God, human form. And so he sits at the well to rest, and it's midday, the sun is burning, and at the same time, a woman, she comes to draw water. 
Now, at this time, there is a racial tension happening between Jews and Samaritans. Think Montague and Capulet. Think, you know, all of the, the bad blood between two sort of clans. This is what's happening in the context of the time there. In addition to that, she's an unmarried woman, and he is a man, and this is a no-no. You don't have these types of conversations at this time in the Bible, in this time in history. But despite all those things, Jesus has a conversation with her anyway. And while he's talking, he begins to reveal all these little Easter eggs, all these little glimpses of his divinity to her. And as he's doing this, he's using the illustrations of water and thirst. And the woman's curious, and so she's asking more questions. And the more questions she asks, the more Jesus reveals about who he is. And the more he reveals, the more she starts to believe that he has got to be something. This something is, is further on when Jesus starts to indicate that he knows kind of where she's been, what her life has been, and she thinks maybe, maybe he's a prophet. And so she asks him prophet-style questions. Mr. Prophet, if you know all these things about me, here's what our people are trying to figure out. We, we heard a rumor that we should either worship on this mountain over here, or maybe we should worship in Jerusalem. What's the actual answer to this question? And then Jesus, like Jesus does in many cases, he doesn't actually answer the question that's being asked. He gets a question received to him. Instead of saying, here's, here's the A, B, or C, he says, let's talk about something totally different because I'm going to give you an answer that you didn't even ask for, but it's the one that you need to know. And the answer that he gives her is that God is spirit, that worship is through the Father, that true worship isn't what we think it is. And she kind of gets curious, and she, when she starts to hear Jesus talking about these things, Jesus responding to these answers to her questions, she, she says, and I think in my, in my reading, my interpretation is that she might be curiously saying, I know that the Messiah is coming, question mark, a.k.a. Is that you, Jesus? Are you this Messiah? We've heard for so long that the Messiah is going to come and deliver our people. The Messiah is coming, dot, dot, dot. And Jesus, he just says, yeah, I am who you say I am. I am that person. And so this this encounter. This, this faith is kind of growing as it's happening, and the woman, she, she gets pumped, man. This is, the, this is the moment that they've been waiting for in the history of the Jewish this context, and she, she sees these, these disciples come back, and they're starting to talk and ask questions, and she leaves her jug. She's there to fetch water. She leaves all of her water there at the jug, and she goes into town. It doesn't say how fast she goes, but I just imagine her sprinting into town, filled with excitement, going into town saying, everyone, listen, listen, you guys, you got to listen. This guy that I met at the well, he knew everything about me. He knew everything about me. you got to meet him. He's the savior of the world. And this is effective because the townspeople, they believed, and they believed so much they wanted to go see Jesus for themselves. And then after they saw Jesus for themselves for two days, the whole town ignited it. And they're like, this is the savior of the world. This is the man that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the savior. This is incredible. All of this happened because this woman... She had a transformative encounter with Jesus that could not be contained. This is such a powerful story, and, and I love it for so many reasons. And one of the reasons I love this story is because Jesus, he overcomes all of the cultural tension that's happening at the time between a Samaritan and Jew, and he talks to her anyway. Despite being a man and an unmarried woman, he, he, he moves through that social stigma, and he receives her with grace and with truth and with love. And one of the strange things about this particular uh, sort of context is that in, in the time, women would often go together, like at a social club, to, to fetch water in community. They would go in the morning or, or something. But this woman was going in the middle of the day by herself. 
which scholars believe that this means that she was kind of cast away from all the social societal groups. She was by herself. And it, I don't know if you've ever been kicked out of a friend group, but that's, that sucks. If I'm walking by myself because all my friends kick me out because of things that I've done in my past, that's a lonely, hard, and shameful walk. But because she walks to this, this place alone, Jesus doesn't say, oh, look at you, loner, shame on you for all that you've done. He talks to her, and he engages with her, and he accepts her and embraces her, and he, he calls out her past, but he has no condemnation against her. But the most powerful part of the story for me is that uh, the faith of the Samaritan woman, and, and this is what I want to spend some time on today, is the faith of this particular woman. Warren Carter, a theologian, writes about women characters in the Bible. He writes this. He writes, Consistently, the male disciples are outperformed by a small number of women who often present examples of positive responses, believing in or entrusting themselves to Jesus. Ladies, Beyonce was right. <laughs> who run the world? Girls. Because all the women in the Bible are being able to see who Jesus is. There is story after story of a, of a woman encountering Jesus, seeing who he is, igniting their faith, and it's, it's incredible. We see it with Jesus' mother in Samaria at the wedding of Cana. For one of his first miracles, Jesus' mother is the one that helps reveal who his divinity is in the story. So we get to see a little bit more of Jesus' character through that particular woman. The, the woman at the well we just saw is another characterization of Jesus. Mary and Martha, when, when Lazarus rises from the dead, it is Mary and Martha that believe all of Jesus' power. But then for all my bros out there, I'm sorry, we look bad in the story because like Nicodemus, for instance, he encounters Jesus and Jesus says you have to be born again and he is a religious scholar. He has like his PhD in religion. And what does he say? So I got to go back into my mom's womb and then be born again? Dude, you're missing it. But this particular woman, she gets it and it's the faith of this woman. It is the faith of this woman who isn't even named in this story, by the way, who helps us see who Jesus is. She goes from zero to 60 real quick. So I want to bring up that chart again. Um, this is our timeline. I'll just call it the timeline of faith. And, and she kind of blows right from stranger to, to faith all in this story. And at first, Jesus, it says in verse 9, she encounters Jesus as a stranger and she identifies him as a Jewish man wanting a drink. So in the beginning of the story, he is just a thirsty Jewish dude. He's there. And then they're talking further and then he starts to reveal kind of pieces of him, and she's like, well, maybe you're not just a random person. Maybe you're someone. Maybe you have something to offer. Maybe you're greater than our, our person, Jacob. Are you great or something? And then he's starting to offer living water beyond the water that is right before them at the well. And then she starts asking these questions, and her, her insight of who he says she is and where she's been is a place to, to ask questions even further without being condemned. Then at the very end, Messiah, Messiah status. She, she sees that he really is the Christ, and she runs into town saying, come and see, come and see. And I love this language because this is what Jesus said when he had his disciples say, come, follow me. He said, come and see. And this is what she said to the people when she ran into town. And the entire village came to encounter Jesus. And how, how did this happen? Two things. One, it's the faith of this woman. She entered into the curiosity. She asked the right questions. She had an open heart to say, Jesus, this stranger, are you who you say you are? And then the second thing that really puts it over the edge is what Jesus had to offer, and it is right here. I'm going to tattoo this on your, on your arm. Jesus offered the living water. Living water. And it's so fitting 
that Jesus, the Lord of all, Jesus, the King of kings, Jesus, the King of analogies, he's, he's trying to express who he is to this woman. And so he just looks down, there's water there, and he understands the need for water. And so he starts to reveal himself through this analogy of water, through this imagery, and it is so beautiful. Eugene Peterson's contemporary interpretation of the text has Jesus saying in John 4, verse 14, the water that I will give will be an artisan spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. That sounds good to me. We see more water imagery later in John chapter 7, and and we see uh, him write, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is Jesus and the 2,000 years ago saying, drink from the well that I will give and you'll have eternal life and your heart will flow with torrents of living water. This is the story that brought this woman to hear the message and not just stay at the well and say, that's great. Thank you so much, Jesus. I'm going to just sit here at the well every Sunday and just listen to what you have to say and I'm just going to just be. Instead, she gets up from the well and she runs into town proclaiming the goodness of the Lord, proclaiming the Messiah, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. She could not be contained. And remember, she started the story by herself, afflicted and alone from shame and guilt from her past relationships. And Jesus said, that doesn't matter. Drink what I have to give you. And she runs into town and the whole community is ignited by her faith. And by reading this account, And hearing the same exact story through her account, are we as a church, Genesis Church, are we going to continue to sit at the well? Which maybe that's what some of us need today. Maybe some of us actually are not even at the well. Maybe we're on a journey to getting toward the well, and you need to sit there and ask the questions and drink what Jesus has for you. And if that's you today, amen. There are people in this church that I know would love to pray for you. So ask questions, dig deep, drink the water. But for some of us, we've been sitting here for a long time. We've been sitting at the well. We've been hearing Jesus talk about these things. We, we like it. We're pretty far along on that sort of timeline of faith. But it's time for us to get up. It's time for us to actually run into town, literally or figuratively. And this is something for me and my story. Where I was just sitting at that well for a while, the water was stale. And Team World Vision came in, stirred me up, kicked my butt. My pastor, his teachings combined with what was happening in our church, mixed with this marathoning, fundraising, advocating for people on the other side of the world. Those two things, God used those things to to get me up from the well, run into town, literally and figuratively. And so our ask today, our challenge and response, is that you would either drink the living water, bring physical water, or do both. And so for some of you, you might be saying, this is, this is the year. This is the year, November 2018, that I, I get to the start line of the Indianapolis full half marathon. And I, and I literally run into town. I run all around town. I run through the Carmel roundabouts as I'm training. This could be a year to go and bring living water to children in need through World Vision's water projects and to bring physical water to the children who need it. For some of you, sponsorship might be the answer, and we'll talk about that in one second. As we close, I just want to show you just a couple photos um, to kind of show and shape what this actually could look like. And so there's a picture of this woman named Doris, and Doris is uh, in her 80s. She, uh, this is the LA Marathon, and this is what she said as her purpose for running. She says, if I tire on the run, I'll hold the sweet faces of Africa's children before me and pray. 
God, you put my feet up and put them down. If Doris can pray that, we can all pray that. God, just put my feet up and put them back down as we raise money for clean water and children around the world. And when Doris has these faces of these children ahead of her, I want to show you this next picture. This, this is the, the picture that I see in my mind when I'm running with Team World Vision. This is a disgusting, filthy water source. There's a, a horse in the background of that picture, and animals are defecating in that same water source. We wouldn't give that water to our dogs. A lot of us, we wouldn't wash our car with that water, but 800 million people around the world still lack access to safe water. And these sweet little children, they have to go to this water source, fill it up with dirty, contaminated water, and bring it back to their homes. And every single day, 1,000 children die because of water-related diseases. And it's not right, and it's not good, but we have an opportunity to help bring clean water and restore children to fullness of life. Because if you go to the next picture, this is a, a photo of victorious emotion. This is a story of a, of a person going through the training of fundraising and, 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 and training and then getting to the finish line and not just receiving a medal for finishing the race, but that's a specific medal for bringing 60 kids clean water, 60 people clean water. And you can just see, this is what it feels like to be on fire for the kingdom, to be living through a gospel calling. There's a lot of gospel callings in the world. This is just one of them. And it's one of them that will, that will move you, I swear, because you have to literally move your body through time and space. But this is a picture, and I want to show you uh, the next photo. This is what we're running for. This is water flowing abundantly in the same way that Jesus says, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Lastly, I want to end on this photo, and this is a picture of, of two of our sponsored children. Um, my wife and I, we sponsor three boys in Kenya, and these are two of them. This is Ian on the left and Brian on the right. And uh, sponsorship has changed my life, honestly. Um, it, it was something that I thought was just what you did. You kind of have head knowledge. You kind of do the transactions. Like you're, You have your tithing. You have your international giving. You have all these things that you do. Um, but it has changed me because I've been able to learn about these two boys as people, as children, through writing letters, through getting updates. Luckily for me, I get to meet them. And uh, the thing about sponsorship is that every single one of you, when you walked in, you should have gotten one of these sponsorship folders. If you have it, I just want you to take it out to look at who the picture is. Um, and on the top, uh, there is a name. This one that I have here says, Hello, I am Salam. She lives in Ethiopia. And... She's a six-year-old girl, and the, the thing that crushes me about the story of the woman at the well is that she is one of the first accounts of an evangelist. She hears the story of Jesus, she runs into town, and the entire town starts to believe who Jesus is because of what she did in her evangelistic efforts, but she doesn't even get a name in the story. That's brutal. She's in history, in the Bible, in the canon, but she doesn't get a name. And the thing about global poverty is sometimes for us it can be easy to disengage because there's no name and there's no face to these children around the world that are living in poverty. But the reality is when you sponsor a child, yes, your $39 a month goes towards things like uh, bringing the gospel through church programming. It goes to nutritious food and healthcare and education. And by the way, this isn't like your mom and pop little water well in the backyard. I've seen solar power pumps that distribute water to 20,000 people. I've seen this calm care system where moms in, in Uganda are being checked up on by World Vision volunteer and staff through mobile apps to see how is your pregnancy going during prenatal care. How was your pregnancy and postnatal care? There is so much global development happening. I can spend all day talking about it, and that is incredible stuff, and it's good, and I love it, and that's why I trust World Vision. But above all else, it's the relationship that you have with a child. 
Because when I sponsor Brian and when I sponsor Ian, I'm not just thinking about, great, my money is going towards all of these bullet points in the global development projects. I think about a person who I know. Jesus, in Matthew 25, he says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was a stranger, you let me in. And he says something towards the end of this verse, and I want to really focus in and just listen to this part. This is so important. He said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when we serve children around the world, yes, we're serving them in the name of Jesus, but he didn't say whatever you did to serve just the least of these, not just whatever you're doing to serve poor people on the other side of the world. He says, no, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, these are my little brothers. And when you can see global poverty not as an extreme spreadsheet of facts and statistics, but you can see global poverty as a person, as a brother or a sister named Brian or Ian or like Salem or whoever you have in your hand, it changes everything. It changes the community. It changes the life of the child. And so there's an opportunity uh, to sponsor a child today because, like I said, Steve, he's got a crazy race happening in just, uh, just less than a week's time. So I want to invite Steve up, and he was, he's going to talk about what it looks like to actually sponsor a child um, through his goal of getting 56 kids sponsored through the Comrades Marathon. Steve? Thanks, Bert. Um, yeah, so uh, many of you know uh, a little bit about my story. I first visited Haiti in 2011, uh, not with World Vision. I went with Nehemiah Vision Ministries, another great ministry partner of Genesis, and it was the first time I'd ever been to a third world country. And so I traveled internationally before, but never really got to see, as Michael talked about, the face of poverty and see these kids who um, the Lord just impressed on my heart when I was there that, uh, Steve, you, you have an unfair advantage. Like being born in a place like the United States, being born into the middle class where I didn't have to worry about when I was going to eat next or if my water was going to make me sick or if I'd be able to go to school. And the Lord just really impressed on my heart that idea that um, we sang about in, in the last song we sang, every precious one, a child he died to save. And... Um, so in 2016, I got introduced to Team World Vision, uh, as many of you did, through the opportunity to run the Monumental Marathon, and I ran that last year for them. But the more people I meet from World Vision and the more church leaders I talk to who are working with them, um, everybody that I talk to is so impressed with the way that they share the gospel by meeting the needs of people in these, in these countries. And it's, it looks different in every area. And so you guys know, a lot of you know, I've been a runner for a long time, and I've had this dream for probably 15 years of running a race called Comrades in South Africa. It's a 56-mile ultra marathon. Uh, this time next week, I will be done. One way or the other, I'll be done <laughs> because it closes, it ends at, uh, at 5.30 in the evening on Sunday, which is about 10.30 in the morning here. And I'm running 56 miles, not because I love to run, but I'm running to raise awareness for, for these kids. Uh, who need sponsors. And um, my goal is to get, as Michael said, 56 kids sponsored. That's one for every mile I'm running. And I am, as of after first service this morning, I'm halfway there. So I've got 28 kids uh, sponsored. And um, I would just love if the Lord's calling you at all. I know some of you in this room have already sponsored a child and thank you so much for that. But I would love if the Lord's talking to you about this. Um, would you come see me at that table out there? And you can, if you've got one of these, you can bring that one with you or I've got more of them. I'd love to talk to you about sponsoring a child. If he's calling you to raise money for clean water to go run a race, I just come over here after the 
after the service and meet with Sharon and Michael. I just want to invite you to go get your kids first and bring your kids with you to that meeting uh, so that Beth can send her volunteers home. But um, there's lots of ways that you can get involved. And maybe the Lord's calling you to both. Maybe he's calling you to neither. If, he's, if he is, you can drop this off. There's a box out there where you can drop that off. But I'd love to talk to you about it. I know Berg and Sharon would love to talk to you about it. Um, we just want to be a church that follows where the Lord leads us. Uh, we want to be a church that uh, if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. And so I hope that you'll just listen to his voice.